Hey y'all, I want to tell you about 70 Million, a Peabody-nominated podcast about criminal justice and jail reform from Lantigua, Williams & Co. Each week, starting September 14th, a team of reporters around the country chronicles how communities are enacting criminal justice reform in their neighborhoods, from the bail system and racialized policing to the school-to-prison pipeline and the spread of COVID in jails. This show gets right to the heart of the social upheaval we're experiencing and how communities all over the U.S. are taking action. Listen now at 70millionpod.com or search 70 million in your podcast app. You're listening to Natal. You're listening to Natal. You are listening to Natal. You're listening to Natal, a podcast about having a baby. Having a baby. Having a baby while Black. My name is Micah, and this is my natal story. My name is Kenya, and this is my natal story. My name is Shelly, and this is my natal story. Hi, my name is Cambricia, and this is my natal story. Hi. So guess what, Liz? I am actually telling a story about you and about when I found out I was pregnant with you and when I decided to go to a hospital. I'm Martina Abrahams-Lunga. And I'm Gabrielle Horton. Welcome back to Natal. Now, we know what you're probably thinking. Where did you all go? Is this the new season? And well, we've got some answers. Season one of Natal grew beyond our wildest dreams. And many of you might know that towards the end of our first season, we hosted the Natal Summit. Co-sponsored by Black Mamas Matter Alliance and Stork, the summit was a one-day virtual event that explored the future of care for Black birthing parents in the U.S., AKA our way of bringing everybody, including over 550 registered attendees together. So if you attended, shared it with a friend or made a donation, we just want to say thank you again. It was really a great event. So thanks so much. And as our team prepares for season two, we wanted to make the summit conversations available to all of you here on our podcast. So over the next four weeks, you'll get a chance to hear from the parents medical providers, birth workers, production team, and advocates around the country who joined us for that amazing day. Advocates like Congresswoman Alma Adams of North Carolina, who worked alongside Vice President-elect Kamala Harris, Congresswoman Lauren Adams of Illinois, and other lawmakers to author the Black Maternal Momnibus Act of 2020, which, as you may know, we covered in our season one finale. So our very first panel of the summit, our very first conversation for that day and that we're sharing with you all right now, it features Congresswoman Adams and many other Black perinatal health advocates, folks who are influencing and writing policy at all levels of government. It was so, 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 so good. And with everything going on right now politically, their insight and passion will definitely help fuel you in the days ahead. So let's get into it. Welcome, welcome, everyone. We've got over 230 participants or attendees here with us this morning, this afternoon, wherever you're calling from or calling into. Um, this session are for equity advocates. Um, I know you all have the full shebang in your schedule, and they'll be dropping this also in the, in the chat function on Zoom, so you can also see the full details. Um, but this session is all about birth equity advocates, thinking about the leaders from the nonprofit sector, tech, and government and how they're advancing public narratives alongside effective data-informed public policies that result in better health outcomes for Black birthing parents. So with us today, 
Um, let's see, we've got such an amazing roster. So Congress, Congresswoman Alma Adams of North Carolina, uh, she is the co-founder of the Black Maternal Health Caucus, which if you don't know what it is, I need you to also Google this as you watch this because you just need to know. It is a phenomenal caucus with over 100 bipartisan members on the Hill. And they're all about thinking about how to fill in these legislative gaps that provides care and funding to those on the ground, helping to improve these outcomes for Black moms. And we're going to get into their, that work very soon. Um, we're also joined by Jamil fields Allsbrook the Director of Women's Health and Rights at the Center for American Progress. She oversees a phenomenal portfolio that thinks about policy development and strategic planning, not just related to sort of maternal health, but women's health and rights overall. So we'll get into what she's thinking about and how she's leading her team around the research angle, which I think will be really interesting because I saw a few questions coming in about collecting data. Um, so hopefully we can get to some of those. Um, Charles Johnson is our is our lone man today on the on, uh, part of the natal summit, but it's good that you are here with us, Charles. Um, if you don't know, Charles is the founder of Four Kira for Moms, an organization he started after the tragic loss of his wife Kira Johnson, who died during childbirth, right, a C-section, giving birth to their second son, right, turning that pain and that grief into policy movement and, and movement building is some of the work that Charles will be able to talk to us about today because he's doing some incredible work with actually a few people who are on the screen. <laughs> and last but not least is Kimberly Sills Hours, the founder of the Earth app. Kimberly is a maternal health strategist and through this new app and thinking about technology, Earth is helping folks to think about how they can identify uh, hospitals and physicians that have strong ratings that care for and center Black women and birthing people. And so it's a really cool technological app that we'll be able to get into a little bit as well. So welcome everyone. I hope everyone's unmuted. How are you all today? Doing well, thank you. Terrific. <laughs> Happy to be here. Oh, wow. Great. Oh, well, I'm here. It's good to see you again. Congresswoman Adams is going to be on our season finale. So this is our second time doing this Zoom thing. Um, but maybe let's start with something that's a little bit natal focused, but I think it relates to each of you all's work. Um, I would love for each of you to kind of briefly share a little bit how storytelling plays in your advocacy work. Because I know that you all are at different sectors doing this work coming from different angles. But how have you seen storytelling applied really well in your work? And how have you seen it misapplied? And maybe we want to kick it off to Charles, you want to start just thinking about Kira's story, right? Something that you're living and breathing every day to fuel your work. Absolutely. So thank you so much for that question. And it truly is an honor to be here and to be the lone man as part of the summit. It really is an honor. Thank you for having me. So um, and to be on this panel with these wonderful dynamic sheroes, it's such an honor. Um, and so for me, I think that's such a wonderful question. And what I've seen personally is that the storytelling has been so important to humanize this issue. And I think that particularly with, with Kira's story is that um, for someone, people had been sharing statistics and the statistics about what's happening um, in the maternal mortality crisis, and then even more so disproportionately happening to our Black women, it's scary, but there are statistics. But once we begin to share specific stories and humanize this issue for people and let people know and understand that these women and these earth angels that we are losing are so much more than just statistics. They are mothers, they are sisters, they are vital parts of the community that have so much to give and who are being snatched from these families prematurely. 
And I think that that's where we were really able to see a turn in the tide and people to be able to focus on this as not a women's issue, not a women's health issue, not a black issue, but what it truly is, the issue of birth justice and birth equity is a human rights issue. And I believe that's really what the stories do for the issue. I love that. And Congressman Adams, I would love to hear your reflections and this little sneak peek to our season finale because, you know, kind of similar to Charles, you have a personal story too that brings, that fuels your work as well. I remember you sharing with me a bit about your own daughter and your granddaughter, Jocelyn. And I just think, I'll be honest, and I can't wait for you to share this with people here if you're comfortable, but thinking about how this, these personal stories are affecting you, right, even as a Congresswoman and how it, how it impacts your work. Can you talk to us about the role of storytelling and leading the work that you are doing on the Hill? Well, thank you, uh, Gabrielle. Uh, thank you for that introduction earlier. It's great to see all of you. And Charles, uh, it's good to see you again. Always a pleasure. Uh, you know, I, um, I, I think storytelling is, a, is really important. And of course, I have to look outside in terms of the work that I do as an artist. Uh, you know, we, we are storytellers, but I think it's really important uh, for folks to understand what's going on. A lot of times, uh, members of Congress uh, don't know. If you haven't experienced it, you don't know. So it's, I think it's great uh, to be able to raise this awareness, to educate uh, my colleagues, and to shine a spotlight on this crisis. Now, uh, birth equity, of course, has been the core of, of our work. And as a member of Congress, telling and listening to meaningful stories helps us to do the work that we do. Uh, I had, it has a major influence on our work. My daughter's birthing experience uh, was difficult and that's really what opened my eyes to uh, the shocking outcomes that black women face in the healthcare system. So uh, my, my granddaughter was premature. Uh, it was a C-section. It was a very difficult birth. I, my daughter almost died and uh, Jocelyn is now 14 and she's taller than I am and so uh, that's a story that you want to tell, not the story that Charles has to tell. But I think we have to be mindful of all that's going on. And uh, it's, uh, it's been um, really deeply impactful, particularly as I hear Kira's story and Charles's beautiful wife, who we tragically lost. So uh, I, I believe that it's, it's Kira's story that's responsible for the historic passage of the Preventing Maternal Deaths uh, Act that, that was passed in 2018. So um, you know, I, I think we continue to need, we need to continue to do that uh, because I think it does, as he said, it puts a human face on, on the issue. I agree. Kimberly and Jamil, kind of piggybacking on that, but I got, I kind of got a new question for you all, right? Because I'm thinking about Jamil, your work at the Center for American Progress. Kimberly, I know you've been deep in this work for some years and also just recently developing the Earth app as well. So when you are hearing, right, these stories, it's your own loved ones or in the news, how are you all thinking about this disconnect? And I'm, I'm kind of asking about, you know, having myself worked in like government bureaucracy and then also working on the ground, it can sometimes be easily to be disconnected from what's happening on the ground and then what's happening like in the boardroom or sort of like what's happening in your office setting. So how are you all thinking about these real life stories and real life experiences as well are kind of doing this very high level work, if you will? Um, how are you trying to sort of kind of fill in that, that gap, if you will, and make sure it's not such a disconnected, you know, space between those where you are and those who are living this, this, this on the ground, right, in local communities. Whoever wants to start first. <laughs> I can start first. Well, first of all, as a journalist by trade, right, storytelling is, has been my work 
for 30 years, right? And senior editor at Essence, Fortune Magazine, newspapers in England, storytelling is literally the craft of my trade. And so I bring that to the work that I do at Earth because essentially it's a platform to share experiences, but we need to think about collective strategies and not just having disparate strategies. And so this also was part of how we address the disconnect. What are the ways that we take the stories in communities where I've worked in Detroit and Birmingham, Alabama, Jackson, Mississippi, and Philadelphia, and many of the cities I've led projects across this country and lift that up. And so many times it is an opportunities where someone like Representative Adams would be hosting a session, right? How do we get, um, how do we create a, a literal system for those stories to lift up, not just when they're able to attract media attention, but that everybody is aware that, you know, that there are unfortunately a thousand Kiras, right? And a thousand Shaijas and, and Ambers, right? And so how do we make sure that it's not about, you know, these um, extraordinary people, but also that we're lifting up the everyday stories in our communities and creating mechanisms for our representatives to hear that on a regular basis. So to the points made, they can be continually, you know, humanized in this process and, and, and more rooted in the community experience. I love hearing that. I love hearing that. Jamil, what are, what are your thoughts on this? Because I, you know, I love the work y'all are doing at CAP. Um, so can you tell us a little bit how you're thinking about this? Sure, sure. But, you know, before even getting to the work point, like many uh, of you all, you know, we all get into this work because it's personal for us. You know, I, I do not have any children to my mother's chagrin, but that's a whole nother story. But, um, you know, um, getting into you know, public health and reproductive justice work, it has been because of the barriers I've experienced in care, barriers I've seen my friends and family experience, including uh, those who are mothers. And so first, just even coming into this work, sort of carry that with me, carry that uh, knowledge with me. Sometimes when I'm doing things that can feel, like you said, very disconnected to sort of the real world. Um, I'm here in DC uh, as well. And that can also seem like you're in a very bubble. So I often try to remember, you know, I'm a Missouri girl from Missouri. Remember those sort of stories I've heard and seen and experienced uh, at home. Um, but in, in the work setting, I think it shows up in two, from two different angles. You know, first there is the angle of, you know, again, you hear these, I also, I hear uh, stories of work, um, like uh, the work that you all do at NATO uh, uh, and work that others uh, do. And sometimes that might uh, encourage me to act. So, you know, CAP, uh, we do a lot of research and analysis, putting out very wonky reports uh, and trying to develop policy recommendations um, to help inform the conversation and, and inform lawmaking. Um, but sometimes those ideas come because we've heard a story, because we've heard about a problem. And usually when you might hear a story, you know that story is not just one person's story, as has been said before. And so then we go and try to uh, take that sort of story and, and sort of dig deeper and also see if there is um, broader trends and broader data. And then the other piece of that is that sometimes we might know about uh, data and trends. Um, you know, I'm a lawyer by trade and a policy person, and I know that while that excites me, it does not excite many people. And so then we'll try to collaborate and partner with those who are effective storytellers as well. Um, uh, and and to, to sort of paint a picture that people can feel and see beyond what they might get out of a 30, 40 page report that we might put out. And those two can go hand in hand um, and not one or the other. Yes. 
I love hearing that. I love hearing that. We have actually referenced a few CAC reports throughout the season, and there's one that we really enjoy, and I think a lot of folks did as well. There was one that you had specifically about the critical role of midwives and doulas and improving care for Black birthing parents and like putting numbers and statistics to that because I think it can be this thing that we all just kind of imagine but don't always talk about the heart numbers. And I loved how you all did that um, to share with people. Yeah. Th so that, that's helpful. Thank you for that. And actually, one thing I'll mention in particular about that report, uh, one of my colleagues, what she did to do that was to interview um, midwives and doulas who were working in the field on the ground to help sort of couple with our policy recommendations and to inform those. Um, so I think that's a good example of how when we're at our best, we, we try to do. Yes, yes. And we'll make sure we link to that when we uh, catch our breath in a couple of days on the NATO website and have that available for everyone as well. Um, kind of speaking about like just sort of doing this work, the challenges, the opportunities, I just think it's so hard for us to sort of avoid the elephant in the room, which is that this has been a crazy year, right? And, and not to say that things were just sort of like very peachy before, but I mean, anything that could be sort of like exposed has been exposed and just taken to a new degree, right? From the COVID-19 pandemic that is still just, you know, it's just ravaging our communities, especially black and brown communities, to the global protests demanding that black lives do indeed matter. They've been mattering, will always matter. And it just presented a new set of challenges. And so I'm thinking about, as opposed to maybe the challenges, because we're all trying to think about the solutions and opportunities and how we continue to build. How has this year opened up new opportunities for you all to sort of do your work in new ways or to reach people differently? Or I don't know, just what, how have you all kind of used this year, either continue the work or to kind of pivot to sort of really address the needs that, that Black birthing parents are facing all over the country? And, and maybe this doesn't apply to everyone, but if one or two of you want to share, we'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, we've, we've had a significant pivot at Earth because we had planned to be on the ground in three cities collecting reviews to see the app before it launches in the fall. Yes. And we were literally one yes. week before Sacramento when the pandemic started closing things down and we had to completely yes. shut down everything that we were, you know, had planned out, everything that was specific to our funding. And so it was a time of, you know, sheer shock, um, awe, and, you know, while I myself, I'm trying to get my daughter home from Spelman, I have a young Black boy in my home, you know, so I think that the, the compounding of things, right, the ways that our work changed, and but then the ways our, our personal lives were also being challenged has kind of created this general malaise. And so what we've had to do was pivot to online, we're capturing our reviews, um, and in our key cities online um, and you know made some other changes working more with community partners um, and but somehow still getting the work done and we also felt compelled to lean into the moment by creating a special campaign that we fundraised for to just capture COVID-19 experiences of birth and, and, and prenatal and postpartum because we know as you mentioned this pandemic has only exacerbated the disparities and the poor care that we were already receiving and so now we are creating a you know by Black women, for Black women space to capture those experiences for those who have given birth um, during the pandemic. So we were excited about that campaign going on now as well. I love the pivot. I love the pivot. I think Charles and, and Congresswoman Adams, I'd love to hear from you all because, you know, y'all been kind of busy this year. <laughs> the Monibus Act, right? And so I hear how you all you know right obviously it's not so COVID related but it's happening this year and it has a huge impact and so 
would love to hear how you all are thinking about the legislative work that you all have been been doing and talk a little bit more about the Monibus Act of 2020 as well and you all working together. Like, let us know what that has been like. Well, let me first of all say that uh, we, we indeed, I think, have gotten to the point now where we're uh, continuing to say and stress that Black Mamas matter. Uh, we have a, a tremendous opportunity, I think, in Congress um, to pursue transformational structural change because the system is not working for so many people, especially women and minorities. So uh, we know that the research uh, tells us that this uh, stress of racism and sexism undermines uh, our health as Black women, making us more, more vulnerable. Uh, I, uh, I know I talk a lot about the momnibus, but let me just uh, say that it has been uh, a wonderful opportunity for us to bridge this gap and to, uh, to work with all of our partners in Congress who've been working on issues that are related to, uh, yes. uh, to Black women's health. And so we have nine bills. Uh, I think the, the term is really appropriate in terms of uh, momnibus. So uh, we, um, uh, Senator Harris, who, who is our uh, new uh, VP, uh, I'm gonna call it, uh, but uh, she's been real vocal in this work. And one of the things that we know we have to do is not only work across the aisle, but we've got to work across the chambers. And so uh, she has been really great in terms of of, um, of doing, uh, you know, filing uh, legislation yes. that we file maybe in the House, uh, yes. so that we can kind of have this. So it's been um, uh, it's been a revelation, but I do believe that uh, people are paying attention, and legislatively, uh, we um, we we have some movement uh, coming along on this issue right now. Yes, absolutely. And Charles, what has your involvement been? Because one of the bills, right, um, uh, you know, very involved. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and what it was like to work with, I don't know if this is your normal, your day-to-day, -day, you're just working with congressional members, but maybe give folks a bit of an insight on like what that has been like working with Congresswoman Adams' office and the caucus as a whole to, to move. Oh, sure. I'll just kind of even to, before I jump in the momnibus, to just take a step back when we talk about H.R. 1318, the Preventing Maternal Deaths Act, it was the first piece of federal legislation I was fortunate enough to be a part of and had the opportunity to testify on Capitol Hill. Yes. And that was a wonderful experience and I was honored to be a part of it and help shape it and help push it forward. But this experience has been completely different from that. This has been the courageousness of Congresswoman Adams um, and her counterparts in this coalition um, has been amazing. And the thing that was so dynamic is the community involvement, is getting the input from these different community-led organizations. This was not just a typical piece of legislation. There was contributions from all these dynamic partners. This truly was a partnership in shaping this. And the audacity of this group of led by Black women to show up with not one, not two, not three, but nine pieces of legislation addressing the comprehensive needs of, um, of Black birthing people and Black women in birth is amazing. And then also by the grace of God, we squeezed this in just before COVID kicked off, we got it introduced. And that was another very critical piece of this. So it's an honor to be a part of it. And then specifically when we talk about uh, the Kira Johnson Act, as you mentioned, that is um, one of the bills that's in this. And uh, Congresswoman Adams is the um, courageous champion for that bill and, and, and sponsor. Um, it really is an honor 
Um, and we really hope that this work, and the thing I talk about is the thing that I'll just, just let me just get a little bit in my feelings a little bit. The thing that's unique about this work is that this work simultaneously is paying honor to our ancestors and protecting our future. Does that make sense? Um, and we talk about this work, we talk about maternal health, we talk about black maternal health. This is something that I think that as you'll see, the Black Maternal Health Caucus um, that I don't know if it was mentioned is not only is one of the fastest growing, but it is the largest bipartisan caucus in the United States Congress. And think about that. And it's only been around, is it two years, Congressman Adam? How long? Two years. Two years. Two years. Um, and that speaks to their leadership. And so we're excited. Um, you know, the time is now. We're excited to get this done. And the thing is, is that when we passed HR 1318, we knew that it was just a start. And to come back, this is a this is this is the follow-up that the country needs that our communities deserve. But this work is not done. You know, we're committed um, as a group to fight until literally not one mother is lost. And that's a commitment. And the the, the one of the questions that I get, um, I'm I'm pretty cool and collective. We talk about press in the form of thing. The one question that people know. Um, and some journalists have asked me, and they've learned the hard way, is what is an acceptable rate of maternal mortality? There is none, right? Um, and that's been the focus, that's the battle cry, and that is, um, you know, we, we lead and we, we approach this with yeah. that attitude. I love that energy, because like, even as just the natal storytelling team, we approach it with that same vigor and that same energy. Yeah, right. So it's just, it's, that's a no-brainer, and I'm glad that we're all on the same page with that. Absolutely. Jamil? Yeah, I was just going to chime in and, and just, again, give uh, the Congresswoman praise, along with uh, many of the other members who worked on that bill, because one thing that's so um, beautiful about it as a person who loves policy is the comprehensiveness of it, covering everything from coverage to delivery system reform to funding for organizations to addressing social determinants of health. You know, it's important to remember that the, the underlying driving force of this problem is race. And that has cut across many sectors and multiple factors. So one small response would not do. And, and you know, luckily uh, the Congresswoman and others recognize that uh, because the problem is comprehensive, the response also has to be comprehensive. And, you know, getting back to your earlier question about um, the opportunities that might be presented or what has changed with COVID, you know, as many, obviously as much devastation as the pandemic has caused, one thing that has been sort of a silver lining is that a lot of the work that we sort of do in health policy has been around convincing people first that there is a problem. And that applies to maternal health and applies to a number of other things around our healthcare system being broken that I don't have to tell, you know, Black people in America, we know that just from experiences that, that it, uh, the bias that can be experienced and, and sort of, and other things. And now that has been exposed and we don't have to know, you know, we don't need to convince anymore. It's it's more so like, okay, we need to rebuild. We need to push forward the work. We're beyond knowing there's a problem. What can we do for a solution? I love hearing that. And the one thing I wanted you to maybe touch on as well, and something we thought about this season too, is we even opened up, right? Like a lot of our focusing conversation is around sort of black women. And we oftentimes, just the media, we sort of think, 
you know, a woman, maybe married to a man, has a boyfriend, right, some kind of partner, and they have this whole experience getting prenatal care. Um, but we also know that there's a whole bunch of Black queer birthing people who have been literally birthing babies from the beginning. And when we think about the data, just Jamil, one of our, one of the attendees actually asked exactly, they said, how can we get more data um, on Black queer birthing people and, and what's happening to them? And so can you just tell us a little bit of how you all are approaching this work, what the data looks like? Like, you know, just give us a little bit about that, please. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's such a good question because the struggle with data is um, is constant and frequently, um, you know, it, it, uh, frequently we can't sort of make a case or make an argument to get sort of a policy uh, pushed forward without having that data and without having that numbers. And when we do have data, it's frequently not disaggregated. So for instance, right now with the uh, with COVID-19, you know, there's a lot of, uh, it took a while right. for information to finally get disaggregated about the impact of black people. And once we saw it, we knew what was already going to be true, disproportionate impact. But then again, we, don't have that data disaggregated by for black women specifically, you know, sort of for people generally. And then we definitely don't have that data around um, uh, people who don't identify as women and gender non-binary people. Uh, and unfortunately that is true across a number of, uh, of cases and a number of instances. And it is, um, you know, unfortunate is something we push for and advocate for a change um, recently um, related to COVID and maternal health, um, Senator Elizabeth Warren and Congresswoman um, Lauren Underwood just earlier this week introduced a maternal health response act um, that calls for better, better data around pregnancy, as well as disaggregating across a number of factors, including race and uh, ethnicity and, and, and location, um, and also calling for insurance that a response includes the particular needs of um, Black birthing people, um, including whatever therapy or vaccine is developed considers those needs. So, you know, it's an issue that we recognize. I know a lot of other people recognize and keep pushing on. Uh, and, but, you know, and, and that's where those stories do, yeah. again, back to your first question, become so important because when we don't have specific sort of numbers, um, we can at least point to different stories and instances and, and sort of paint a picture. Absolutely. I just wanted to quickly add, Kimberly, yes, was coming back. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I wanted to also add two points. One is that we're actually capturing that information at Earth. When you go through the R filter, we are filtering through through sexual orientation, gender identification. Earth is being built by our all Black Femme team. So those sensitivities are built into how it's being designed. And so I think this question of how we take qualitative experiences and turn that into the quantitative data is also what Earth is going to be doing. We, we will be taking those experiences, but turning into that quantitative data. And then just an important part regarding data that I always want to say is that there's really been a hierarchy around whose data is valued, what is considered real data. I try not to even use the word because it comes loaded with so much institutional baggage. And so really, when we think about decolonizing birth, we really need to decolonize these systems that really haven't, to the point, captured data about us, included us in studies. And so many times, even the maternity space, when we're saying evidence-based research, and I'm asking evidence based on whom, Hello. right? Was evidence ever really based right. on us? And so now a whole system was created based on evidence-based. <laughs> Well, 
Evidence-based on who? And so we think about this data, we have to make sure that as we move forward, that we are actually creating data that's community-centered, community-led, community designed by people in these in, in, in yes. our groups, because that's the only way. They found that the algorithms they were using were, were biased. So we really Hello. have to be, you know, we really have to rethink what is data that's as right. we try to move forward in this anti-racist movement. I didn't know y'all were gonna come preach, <laughs> but I love it. Sorry, I, sorry, sorry. Right. That's no, but I mean all the good preaching, like you all are saying the things that I think we all need to hear and be reminded of doing this work, because there's so many levels and layers to it, right? It's not just like, oh, let's just do this one thing. It's peeling back everything to really get to the root of the issue. And I'm just happy that you all are here to just sort of like speak truth to power. But speaking of moving forward, as you think about kind of wrapping up this session, I want to ask all of you something that we've asked everyone we talked to this season on NATO, even our parents, the birth workers, I mean, everyone. When you think about the future of like, you know, care of black birthing parents, like where do you draw your inspiration or hope, you know, or what do you hope to see for the future of care? And maybe we can start, you know, with you, Kimberly, and then we'll kind of just, we'll, we'll just sort of go around and hear everyone's final thoughts before we close out. Yeah, I mean, I draw lots of inspiration from my children. You know, Earth for me began as a birthing experience I had with my daughter, and then it kind of built its reality yes. as a project. My son, who was a math and coding kid, and I never understand what he's talking about, we started going to app development classes together to really create Earth together and learn together. And I thought this was an important bridge between our worlds because I didn't understand what he was saying. So um, so my children give me great inspiration. My work in the community gives me great inspiration. You know, hearing the stories. I mean, the stories are, yes, important for the field, but the story is important for us as well, right? And so the stories that I hear, that I see, that I'm reading now as we collect online um, for Earth is, you know, that motivates me that I have to continue to work um, and continue to work with others to help, you know, bring about these as you said, the, the myriad of complex uh, uh, solutions to address the complex problems. So, so far, so good. That's been working for me. Doing it. You're doing it. <laughs> uh, let's see, Charles, what, what, what are some things that you're thinking about that you can't wait to see for the future of care for Black birthing parents in this country? Right. So thank you for that. And so I'll kind of, to frame that for me, uh, just kind of what drives me and then what makes me hopeful. So I've been fortunate enough to share my story and advocate all over the country, but the most difficult question I've ever been asked, I was speaking outside of Dallas, Texas, and a woman asked me, she said, Mr. Johnson, do you hope that your sons will continue this work? And it knocked the wind out of me. Mm. Because to think that this would still be an issue when my sons are adults, but it centered my focus, right? And so for me, this generation is gonna own this and we're going to fix this. I refuse for the issues upon the black women are facing giving birth to still be an issue when my sons are ready to have children. It's not gonna happen, right? And so that being said, it makes it extremely hopeful to see these wonderful dynamic beautiful champions. And so for me, one of the things I'm intentional about is although myself and Kira's story are at the center of a lot of conversations, it's important that this work is never centered around me. It needs to be centered around the women on this call, the women in Black Mamas Matter, the sheroes out here that are doing this work every day. And as we're sharing the stories of these horrific incidents 
um, that are happening, it's very important that for me personally, that I've leveraged the platform that I've been fortunate enough to have to uplift the women and the sheroes that are doing this work and share the good news and share the victories and share the innovations and share the things that are going on with Earth and share the things that are going on with the Black Maternal Health Caucus and share the things that are going on in with expanding access to doula care. Yeah. Um, because people have to be, can't just be hopeless, they have to be inspired and understand that there are people who are working every single day and have dedicated yeah. their lives to making our country and our world safe for her women of color. I love that mm -hmm. answer. I think a lot of people in the chats are saying, I see a yes, Charles. I see <laughs> what you're saying. And I think I think it's so, yeah. so powerful. Jamil, what, what are you thinking about? Like what, what brings you a lot of hope? And when you think about the work you're doing to build better systems and thinking about data, what are you drawing inspiration from? Yeah, you know, doing this, been doing policy work for quite a bit of time now. And, you know, one thing I perhaps thought I would never see and that I've always inspired to when I get to be a part of groups like this is how much Black women and Black people are leading sort of the work and pushing the narrative. Um, you know, we've always been doing that, but not always getting credit for it. And, and I work across a number of issues. And one thing that's so great about working in the maternal health space is that it really is um, uh, Black uh, women-led organizations uh, and Black women who are leading the charge on this work. Um, and it's not just, you know, sort of tokenism of just we're going to put you up there. They're leading the work because they know the issue, because we have the expertise, and because we can get it done. And so that, I feel like, is just gives me a lot of hope on days when I'm like, why am I still doing this to myself? You know, we're going to do something else. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and the sort of the vision I would, uh, or sort of a, one thing I would like to see going forward is that we need to be doing that in all the spaces. And we need to be listened to in all and about all the things because you know we have been able to change the narrative and push the needle uh, on this issue and other issues and just sort of listen and center black women um, it always turns out better <laughs> and so and I think in developing sort of real concrete policy solutions to address this problem um, continuing to center the needs of, of black women and listening to black women and not not calling them as a as an after that right thank you for sharing that and Congresswoman Adams, what are your final thoughts when you think about the work that you all are leading and building on the Hill, but really to affect everyone across the country? Where are you drawing inspiration from? What are you most excited about for the future of care for these parents? Well, I'm, I'm, I, I kind of go back to Charles's comments um, uh, because I'm, I'm inspired by, by uh, young persons like, like each of you on this call and particularly uh, Charles, who is um, uh, advocating, uh, not, as you said, not just on behalf of Kira, but all Black women. I think that the commitment that each of your organizations have shown to this work gives me a lot of hope and encouragement uh, to continue fighting. You know, it's kind of like um, uh, being in church and you get an amen from, you know, the preacher always wants an amen. The fact that we have um, stakeholders uh, and we've tried to make sure that these stakeholders are around the table. I've, I've always considered myself to be a stakeholder representative. So I, I get a lot of, of hope and inspiration from the stakeholders because when I think about the future of care, 
And of course, COVID has unveiled and, and ripped the sheet off of so much. Uh, I have to go back to that momnibus because I think it's, it's culturally, uh, it's, it's a culturally competent roadmap that's gonna help our system. And I don't ever want to see uh, another black woman lost or, or birthing person or baby to this crisis. So uh, I do have hope for the future. Well, thank you, Congresswoman Adams, Jamil Fields Allsbrook, Charles Johnson, Kimberly Sills Allers. Thank you, thank you, thank you all for your time here with us today. But for your incredible work and advocacy, it continues to inspire our NATO team. It's very clear that it's, you are, are moving the folks that are here with us today uh, as attendees. And we just can't wait to continue to be in community with you all as we kind of continue fighting, right? And so thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Gabrielle. Thank you. See you all soon. Good work. Thank you. Bye, Charles. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. We want to give a special thanks to the USC Annenberg Center for Health Journalism, specifically Danielle Fox and Andrew Perez, and also to our awesome research assistants, Flo Ibum, Opeyemi Famakinwa, and Mackenzie Grove. And shout out to our natal summit sponsors, Black Mamas Matter Alliance and Stork. And finally, a huge thank you to our guest editor, Tressa Verstegg.